visit patreon.com slash sword and laser. Sword and Laser hopes you will enjoy this program. Welcome to the Sword and Laser. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it's so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of science fiction and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans just like you. I forgot what I'm drinking. I'm not <laughs> drinking anything. What are, what are you drinking? I was drinking something. It was an apple soda, but it wasn't Manzanita Soul. Okay. And I, well, I'm not actually drinking it anymore. So I guess so it doesn't, I guess it really doesn't ma- count. Doesn't you can't really just count. name things that you drank <laughs> in drank the past this. day. Well, I was drinking it in the other room, but I finished it before because we were watching baseball instead of coming in here. Sidral Mundet. Nice. Sidral Mundet. If and you were talking about your mango soda, and you said you bought it from. Um, Oh, from last the, last the time market. Yeah, yeah where'd the cream, you, where'd you buy it mango. From? I bought it from Mitsua Marketplace, which is a Japanese grocery oh. store chain in California. I love it. Uh, they have them in San Jose and uh, and the LA area. Um, so yeah, uh, they don't have them at Ranch Ninety Nine, which is in a kind of a pan Asian uh, mm-hmm. market in California and other states. Um, I was really disappointed because we were closer to a Ranch Ninety Nine now than we are to Mitsua. Mitsu is so good. Oh, Mitsu is the best. That, that really ice cream the, place that does the black sesame ice cream. I really mm. miss living near that. All right. I'm not drinking anything, so I just wanted to talk about Mitsua for a second. Mm. But let's jump into the quick burns. Ow. Joe uh, pointed out that Saga Press or Saga Press will be republishing mm-hmm. three novels and a brand new story collection from Molly Gloss in 2019. Joe says, I've read The Dazzle of Day and thought it was fantastic. I've been thinking about it and mentioning it to folks more than a decade after reading it. It's only grown in my esteem. The poll quote from the announcement is from a conversation Joe Monty had with Ursula K. Le Guin. Hmm. Here's the quote. Yes, Outside the Gates. They published it as young adult, but I never thought that was fully the right audience. Terrible cover. But if you brought it back into print, I'd blurb the shit out of that, (laughs) says Ursula K. Le Guin (laughs) of Molly Gloss. If anyone ever asks me to blurb another book, I'm definitely going to say, (laughs) yes, I'd blurb the shit out of it. Out of that specifically, just, that your yeah. book, I blurb the shit out of that. I love that she, Ursula K. Le Guin's like terrible cover, but I'd blurb the shit out of that. <laughs> treasure, what a treasure! Poor, poor cover artist got thrown into the bus by Ursula K. Le Guin. What are you going to do? I know you. I, I mean, kind of take it as a compliment. Mm. No, don't. No, mm. no. Mm. I guess no. Yeah, yeah. Move on from it. Move on with your yeah, life from it. Yeah, just uh, use it as motivation, maybe. That's good. That's Blame good. the publisher? No, I don't <laughs> Always. Uh, Dara Dara says, Chuck Wendig was fired for being vocal on Twitter. This was a huge story uh, last yes, week or so. well beyond the genre fiction world. Yeah. yeah, so Chuck posted on October 12th, uh, so here's the thing that happened. I just got fired from Marvel, taken off issues four and five of Shadow of Vader, and taken off an as-yet-unannounced Star Wars book. This might be a long thread, so apologies in advance. He then goes on to talk about the experience, how it happened, and it kind of boils down to a campaign of 
of what people are saying were, were trolls and bots, uh, like trying to get Disney and Marvel to have Chuck removed from the projects because of his very vocal political leanings on Twitter, um, which he has never kept secret. No. I, I find it very surprising that anybody who worked with him didn't look at his Twitter account to see what he was all about before working with him and, you know, kind of going into that with that full knowledge. Um so it's it's a it's a it's an unsettling trend I think a lot of people are are saying. Well, I mean, if you're going to call two things a trend, James Gunn, uh Disney yep. fired him for similar reasons. Uh here's the thing. I don't agree with Chuck Wendig on a lot of the political things he says. I don't. I uh, don't agree with a lot of the things y'all say in Goodreads. I don't agree with Veronica on a lot of political things. But you know what? That doesn't effing matter. I like y'all. I like Chuck Wendig. We can disagree on things and still get along. So if Chuck Wendig wants to spout off what he thinks about everything in politics, he should be able to do that. And you should be able to go, yeah, no, I don't, I don't agree, man, but that's fine. Or agree. I mean, you can agree too. I agree with some of what he says. I'm not saying I disagree with every single thing he's, he's ever said, but I love his books. I love him. I well I, maybe that's a little weird to say but I like I I love all the things he writes I I I love the I super love the thread he did with Sam Sykes that was then turned in uh to a movie so just everybody settle down and Disney wrong wrong answer you 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 don't take a guy off of a Vader comic book because he's saying something that some people don't like on Twitter it's 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 a weird world out there and that that's that's where I'm at on this. Like, it doesn't matter what he said. If he's good at doing a comic book, he should be allowed to do the comic book and whatever else doesn't matter. Now, maybe uh, it doesn't sell well because of a boycott or something. And then you reconsider, but let that happen. Cause a lot of people will say things and not do them, especially when it no, comes to boycotts sold very well. Exactly. No, that's what I'm saying is like, yeah. people say all kinds of stuff. Boycotts almost never happen. So don't call this as a business a business decision. I don't I don't really think it was. And I think people are kind of conflating it with other like the Roseanne Barr situation for example, but there's a a big difference to me for saying things that are hurtful to to groups or or minority groups or or groups that are based on on gender or religion or race, what have you. Versus just having very loud opinions about things that are happening in the news. I don't know. It, it's, I believe there's a line. I, I don't, I, I can't claim to know what it is. More so, I'm just more curious about what you disagree with me on. So we'll take that off the podcast. <laughs> no, and that, but see, that's the problem. That's the problem right now. Um, because maybe I disagree with you what you just said about Roseanne. But if we do that, suddenly it just goes right down a whole road where people can't have a civil conversation about anything anymore. Uh, and, it, and it, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, uh, it, we can, we can disagree. We can disagree on things and it's okay. And we can still come. I disagree with Brian Brushwood all the time. We have a whole show about it called cord killers. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, uh, uh, now more than ever, it's, it's really hard for people to see past their own beliefs because everybody thinks that if they give an inch, it will all be over. And I get that. I get that because things are really important right now. And there are very important issues that you need to stand firm. There's a difference between standing firm in your belief and like, you know, throwing your fellow human beings under the bus. 
Well, it's also hard because if you don't come out like 100% on a side of something, then you're seen as being like wishy-washy or fence-sitting or not mm-hmm. being supportive enough. or And so like a lot of times I just don't say anything because you it's like you can't win. Well, especially in places like Twitter where it's not yeah. nuanced, <laughs> right? No. Yeah, even with 280 characters, you still don't have a lot of room to express yourself. True that. Anywho. Uh, on to Mark, who pointed out that the season finale of a little show called IRL, Online Life is Real Life, features audio presentation of a pair of speculative fiction short stories describing what elections might look like in the future. Authors are Malka Older and Genevieve Valentine. And of course, the host of that episode of IRL is Veronica Bell. Yeah, and Baratunde Thurston was with me on that episode. Um, it was a great one. And yeah, there's two pieces of speculative fiction in there that were that were pretty great. And in fact, uh, Baratunde went to school with Malka Older. Um, so he didn't know that before he got on the show that she oh, was really? going to be on it reading her piece. Um, so that oh, I thought he didn't well. know he went to school with her. No, he, he knew that part. Yeah, <laughs> okay. he, did, he did know that part. That would have been part. weird, yeah. Mm-hmm. So there you go. Do you, want me, do you want me to say the part where I'm not the host anymore? No, I was show? waiting for you to go on to say Dara Dara, because that, that's the next oh, one. Oh, yeah. So by the way, I'm not the host of that show anymore. You didn't have to but bring that's that whole... up. I, I know. Tell, but I... As soon as I started reading this, I could see it in your eyes. You're like, mm-hmm. I knew it was coming up. I knew I saw <laughs> I see the rundown before we do the show. Um, it's fine. It was just a, a work work conflicts. Um, no, no, no big deal. I'm excited to see what they do in the future. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy season three, episode seven, just as much. Dara Dara is back again and says how a fan fiction for Three Body Problem became an official novel via The Verge. Spoilers marked in the article. Very interesting piece, she says. Who's it by? Thank <sighs> you so much. No, I'm at the Verge article. It's by Andrew Liptak. Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. It is. Uh, so apparently, a guy who makes fan fiction, which a lot of people do, uh, for the three body problem universe. Um, I'm trying to find his name is Baoshu. Is that right? Uh, this is yes. Yes. Yeah. Baoshu is, is the name this person writes under. Uh, it's not actually the person's name. I think his name is Lee June. Uh, but, uh, was so good that the publisher said we need to print this. So it's, it's, it gets kind of spoilery if you read the Verge article, just so you know. Uh, the non-spoilery version is it covers a period of time in the third book where the story just jumps, but this fan fiction told what happened during the jump, and uh, and everybody loved it, and it is uh, uh, approved by Xin Lu, and it is actually translated by Ken Liu, who translated mm-hmm. all three of the Three Body Problem uh, novels. So, uh, you know, it's it's the exception that proves the rule, obviously, regarding fan fiction. But, wow, pretty cool to have written a labor of love because you just wanted to share what you thought happened in this time period jump uh, and have it published as an official part of this other author's world. Pretty Pretty crazy cool. Very cool. Like I feel like that almost never happens. No, I don't think that ever happens. Yeah. Like usually like fan fiction is kind of ignored purposefully by authors because they if they somehow read something in the fan fiction and then go on to include something similar in a future novelization, then it becomes an issue where sorry, not novelization, in a future novel, Mm -hmm. it becomes problematic because then they're stealing someone else's ideas. They're stealing 
you know, something from someone else's book, technically. Um, and so they usually ignore it, try not to see any of it. So this is a pretty cool way of handling it. I think, didn't Ken Liu just translate two out of the three? For some reason, I thought oh, it was two out of is three. That, you may be right about that. I'm not sure. I know but he translated the first two. For some reason, that's popping two, out into but, my head. Yeah. yeah. Um, or like he didn't do the middle one or something like that. I can't remember. Um, but this is, that's pretty cool. Yeah. So it's called The Redemption of Time by Bao Shu. Excellent. 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 Uh, Mark pointed out this list by Reading Glasses host Mallory O'Mara. Tailor made for the Supreme Sword, aka Veronica Belmont. <laughs> Ten great horror books for wimps. Oh, it's perfect. Or it's Halloweenies, so perfect. as Mallory also refers to them. Uh, basically, like horror horror books for people who don't like to be scared too much. I, you know, I don't mind scary books. It's the movies. I'm actually pretty. Yeah, it's the movies. I don't like seeing it. I am perfectly good imagining it and having it live in my head. Um, but I've read a lot of Stephen King. I've read like Cujo. I've read mm-hmm. like all sorts of, you know, I guess Dark Tower doesn't really, isn't really horror-y. Um, but I've read, I've read a number of Stephen King novels. But I've have you read Things to Do stuff. When You're Goth in the Country by Shavisa Woods? I have not. Have you read My Favorite Thing is Monsters by Emil Ferris? No, I haven't read any of these books. No, I mean, actually. it kind of doesn't matter if you're a Halloweeny or not. This is a great yeah. list. Yeah, it is a good list. Good on you. That feels right up Mallory's uh, alley, by the way, too, which is, is pretty fun. All right. And then Mark says the 2018 British Fantasy Award winners have been announced over at the British Fantasy Society dot org. And there's a uh, a big list here, a lot of stuff. So we've got anthology, uh, New Fears, edited by Mark Morris. We've got audio, uh, Anansi Boys by Neil Gaiman, mm. uh, adapted by Dirk Maggs for Radio 4. Um, all sorts of good stuff here. We've got collection Strange Weather by Joe Hill, which I believe I actually have a copy of somewhere. Get out um, one for film. Yeah, yeah. Horror novel, uh, The Changeling by Victor Lavelle. Um, so yeah, good good stuff here. If you want to see some some novels written or adapted by the Brits, excellent. Thank you, Mark. Why does uh, Get Out get to be nominated? Get to win. For what? How how is Get Out British? Oh, I see what anything? you're saying. No, I don't think British Fantasy Society. Um, I don't think it means that it has to be made by a Brit. Oh yeah, uh, and Jemison won as well. It means it has <laughs> to have been published in Britain and enjoyed by British people. Okay, uh, I'm, right. I'm summarizing here, but. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I know I know you don't have to be a, a Brit to win the British Fantasy Award. Interesting. All right. I didn't know that. I always assumed. No, I think and we've you know talked about that on this show before. Well, we've been doing this show a long time and my brain doesn't go back that far sometimes. <laughs> uh, your, your files are corrupted. Yeah. yeah. Got to defrag my hard drive. You should cloud up back up your brain. Yeah. Sink it. Sink it to the cloud. Yeah. It's already in the clouds. Dropbox right. your brain. Now it is time for Bear Your Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. Uh, We got a thread that I thought was pretty great from Sean. He says there's a lot of buzz right now for a new book on John W. Campbell, uh, the editor of Astounding Science Fiction, who did more than anyone to shape modern science fiction. That got me thinking. There's been a steady stream of biographies, histories, and critical studies on science fiction over the last 20 years as academic interest in the genre has grown, but we hardly ever talk about it. So what books has everyone read on the subject? And he says, 
Uh, for me, I am Providence, The Life and Times of H.P. Lovecraft by S.T. Yoshi. Uh, this is a massive, massive work that tells you everything you'd ever want to know about Lovecraft and plenty of stuff you don't. His dining habits are scarier than Cthulhu. And I'm sorry, that might be S.T. Joshi as well. Um, the Frood, the authorized and very official history of Douglas Adams and the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Jem Roberts. And then These Are the Voyages by Mark Cushman, a trilogy of books giving behind-the-scenes details on every episode of the original Star Trek. Um, I don't feel like I want to say anything after reading Phil's list, because Phil <laughs> wrote like 30 things that he's read. Yeah, there's now, some... Uh, Phil's counting things like the Visual Encyclopedia of Science Fiction, though. That beefs up the list. A little bit, but still a lot, lot of cool nonfiction stuff. I haven't, honestly haven't read that much nonfiction about science fiction and fantasy authors. I, I've read uh, Tessie Dave mentioned how Star Wars conquered the universe. I've read that. Uh, mm-hmm. I've read another sort of unofficial. It was like a fan biography of, of Star Wars history. I've, and I can't remember the name of it now, but it was just like a PDF that I downloaded in 2009. Oh. Um, I, I haven't read a lot of other non Nonfiction stuff, really? Yeah, I don't think I really have either. Nonfiction stuff about science like fiction, bios and fantasy. particularly. I, I have not read a lot of bios. Yeah, we should read I Asimov or A That's Isomov. Either. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, Tom. Uh, oh, what should we move on to then? My 2019 No New Books Reading Challenge. This is crazy. Uh, Daniel said, I love to collect books, as I'm sure everyone else here does. I love nothing more than walking into a Waterstones or charity store and picking up a book that catches my attention. I remember buying my first book, Terry Pratchett's Guards Guards, with money I earned from my first job at age 11. I was a pop boy, and I never looked back. But having just looked over my bookcase today, I counted 135 unread books, not to mention my Kindle collection. I have some amazing books on the shelf, all collecting dust. Stephen King's Dark Tower series. We mentioned it previously this episode. Mm -hmm. I have the second and third ancillary novels. I have too many to mention, and I feel terrible that I've continued to buy more (laughs) and only leave these unread. So I have decided that my own personal reading challenge next year is to only read books that I already own and not buy a single book in 2019. It's going to be the first time in 20 years. It's going to take some impulse control, but I'm going to try. Daniel, good luck. I have decided that I am also going to do this. No, you can't do that. You're the host of the show. I can't well, be re- constrained other, okay. to only picking books that you already own. I think we could still I think we could still do it, but and have it make sense, but I'm not going to hold you to that. I will read the Sword and Laser picks, but anything extra outside of the Sword and Laser picks can only be books that I own. Okay. That's fair. Okay? Yeah. Okay. Because I already bought three new books in the past two weeks. <laughs> and I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so That's crazy. My office is... L- and this here's another thing. I get sent like right. three I was or four say, books a week. Are you counting those among the things that you quote unquote own? Yes. haven't read? Okay. I have to start getting rid of some of these books. Well, yeah. Uh, that's why we need more of you to back the Lems Library level at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Please. <laughs> we Dear need God, to get I'm these drowning. books off our shelves. Uh, yeah, before before I moved, I ended up donating a lot of books uh, to mm-hmm. like 
the thr- the women's council thrift shop near my house because the bookstores didn't even want them. Really? Yeah. 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 That's where we're at. So I think I'm going to try that because I've got a lot of great books here and um, I'm excited about reading some of them. I just haven't had the time. So I just need to make the time and do that. I, I try to vary the books that I pick in both type of author, type of story and, and, and uh period of time that they were published in. I'd hate to, to compromise that, but mm. if we can carve out an exception for how we pick sword and laser books, then I think that's fine. All right. All right. Let's try to do it. We'll try to do it with you, Daniel. In just, a manner of speaking. Just remember, the next six fantasy books are all going to be brand new books that Veronica was sent. <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, last time we had a show, uh, we were talking about the Dresden Files TV series. Mm-hmm. And Charlotte6K over on Twitter said, loved the Dresden series with Paul Blackthorne. Mm-hmm. So thank you for backing us up. Still excited for the new one, but gotta gotta give some love for the for the OG dresden files tv show uh and then el commutador tweeted excellent beginning but stories are like people atticus loving them doesn't make them perfect you try to cherish their virtues and overlook their flaws the flaws are still there though lovecraft country a novel by matt ruff and then replied scribbed and sword and laser (laughs) i don't think he needed that part but it's fine I don't don't didn't need to put it in the in the rundown if I didn't want people to say it out loud. I guess it's the I'm not good at podcasting tonight, Tom. <laughs> You're fine. Why, why why do you say that? I don't know. Just, it was a rough day at work. I'm just not good at podcasting tonight. It's okay. The Red Sox okay. are winning. Are they still winning? I don't know. They were the last time I looked. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. We've got that going for They're us. Gonna be fine, Veronica. It's all you- gonna be fine. It's all gonna be fine. All right. Do you want to talk about the book of the month? Yes. Uh, so real quickly, we'll, we'll uh, let you know what the November book is, unless you're a patron and you already saw the book briefing or on Goodreads. Uh, Rob Raider has already started the threads. It will be Zeros by Chuck Wendig. Now, Chuck, when we talked to him for the Sword and Laser video series, we presented as a fantasy author because of of uh, the Cormorant and, and, and books like that. And of course, he also wrote the Aftermath trilogy uh, for, for in the Star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's got some space opera chops, I guess. Uh, but Zeros is a hacker novel, uh, almost in the um, uh, in the uh, um, Demon uh, by Daniel mm-hmm. Suarez kind of vein. And what Chuck uh, did a lot of research for this uh, to to try to make sure that he wasn't doing stupid hackers, but realistic hackers. I am only partway through the beginning of the setup, but the characters that are being assembled here uh, all ring true to me. He's he's using real examples uh, from the world of hacking, and they aren't like puffed up headline grabbing examples. Uh, there's stuff that actually happens out there. So, you know, is it realistic that 12 people could be abducted by the United States government and forced to work together for some secret purpose that they'll later discover that's the plot of the novel Zeroes? Probably that's not true. But then nothing that we read in genre fiction would really pass that test. Uh, so if you're if you're willing to suspend your disbelief enough to allow for the assembly of this team, it's really a great science fiction novel that's set in the near future, if not the now, uh, that's that's doing real computer science and, and, and I'm excited to read this. Yeah, me too. I haven't read it obviously. Um, I just realized though, the premise is 
kind of similar to one of my NaNoWriMo novellas. Is it really? Yeah. Except they weren't hackers. They were like um bears. Like engineers. Oh, engineers. No, no, not it wasn't wasn't the bears. <laughs> okay. Not not that one. Okay. That was, that was, was a different, different. one. Okay. That was a different one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it'd be great if you're like, Zeros is exactly the same as my NaNoWriMo, except instead of hackers, mine were bears. They <laughs> were bears. And instead of hacking, they were bears. <laughs> They were just doing bear things. They were just things. bears, doing bear things. They were collected by other bears to do other bear things. Yeah. Just like having a family, mostly, <laughs> living in you the know, woods. Eating honey. Hibernating. Yeah. Yeah. That kind Good of times. thing. It was Good a, times. Good Otherwise, exactly like Zeros by Chuck Wood. I, uh, and uh, for my audiobook, I had David Attenborough, so that was special. Wait, what? Oh, David Attenborough read your audiobook? No, that's a joke because it's about bears. <laughs> oh, because it's about bears. Uh, I, I thought you'd already moved on to something else. I'm sorry. No, I'm just I'm too not deadpan good at podcasting for my own damn good. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, it's anyway, okay. Uh, Zeros by Chuck Wendig, uh, if you haven't caught on, is, is sort of like a suicide squad-ish uh, for hackers where they, they get this collection of misfits together uh, to do the government's bidding and then uh, maybe not so much like Suicide Squad discover there's there's some secret thing going on that they weren't supposed to find out about. And what happens mm-hmm. next? Well, you'll have to read the book to find out. But I'm very much looking forward to it. Also, not bears. I don't know. I haven't got that far in the book. Maybe That's there true. are bears. That's true. I shouldn't, make, I shouldn't yeah. pass judgment. Um, so yeah, let's wrap up Lovecraft Country, a novel by Matt Ruff. Um, this was our October book pick, uh, trying to be a little bit in the spooky, scary vein uh, for Halloweeny. Um, and this was not a scary novel, I would say. Uh, scary in some ways, scary with racism for sure. Yes, um, but, but not as much of the uh, the like, you know, old ones kind of ancient horrors. The ancient horrors are there a little bit. There's a little bit of that. Matt Ruff doesn't shy away from having some lurking horrors like Mm -hmm. specifically described but they aren't the driver of the plot uh the driver of the plot is race relations uh in in that era and i think matt ruff uh, i i know i've mentioned before that i read his book the mirage where he flips the world on its head and says well what if the world of islam never fell and the Islamic world was the industrialized, developed world, and the backwater was Europe and America, uh, and, and Christianity. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and what would that world look like? Uh, I I think he does a very interesting job of that. Here he's saying, well, what if Lovecraft's racism came from real racism? In you know, like what if Lovecraft Country was real? And and the racism that Lovecraft passed along was just the real racism that was happening back then tied into all the stories. And how would these African-American characters uh, navigate not only that. survive, yeah. navigate, yes, perfect word, yeah. uh, navigate all of that. So um, I, I love the fact that it's not wish fulfillment. It's not. Uh, it's not a magical Negro story either. Uh, it threads that needle well of of being a realistic story, except for Lovecraft monsters. Yes, except for the magic, <laughs> yeah, and the warlocks, yeah. and etc. Um, I loved it, and we were talking in the book club um a lot about this, the in person version of Sword and Laser here in San Francisco, and uh, apparently, I and I haven't confirmed this, so don't quote me on this. Uh, other than the fact that I'm saying it on the podcast. Um, But I believe Matt Ruff was also 
kind of like thinking about this book in terms of being a television show. Mm. And so that might be why there was some of that like serialization of the, or like an anthology style to, to the yeah. way the story was told. I'll be honest. I didn't love that so much. It did some take me out didn't. of it the yeah. first time it shifted. Now, after mm-hmm. I got used to that being the, the way this book was going to work, then I, I adapted to it, but I never, I never loved it. I, I would have rather this just been a straight tale. I agree with you. Um, I just really enjoyed the Atticus first story so much that mm-hmm. I, when it switched stories, I was kind of like, oh man, I was really enjoying that. I wanted to hear more from his point of view, but I did enjoy it. And I actually uh, had some favorites and actually the forum members kind of talk about that a little bit about how that kind of style of storytelling lends to people picking and choosing yeah. favorites, which might not be the best way to kind of tell a story necessarily. And, and that final story is is a nice little all-star game. So you mm-hmm. you do get that payoff at the end of of like, oh, so my favorite and all the stars of the other stories are all working right, together right. now on an equal right. basis. So that was that was fun. I liked that. But I just thought I thought the writing was excellent. Um, I think as as we mentioned in the previous episode, like I had no idea that Matt Ruff was white and that a lot of people say, well, that shouldn't matter. But I think we talk a lot about how people are represented in stories and how sometimes authors say things like, oh, you know, I or, or we, we challenge people for not being able to write well and doing the research necessary to write outside of their comfort zone, outside of what is known to them. And I think he did a really good job of, of talking to people and learning and writing very empathetically and, and writing from a way that felt very, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to say because I am a, a, a white woman, but you know, it, to me, it felt very natural. It felt, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, yeah, I don't know the word I'm looking for. It just felt it felt right. It felt good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It felt real. Yeah, it felt real. He okay. put the effort in. He put the effort in, and yeah. and that was that was I really mean, it, it. Showed to me. I, I believe that you can evaluate the book in many many ways. You can evaluate any book in many ways, and one way to evaluate this book is: I don't care what the race of the author is. Did they get the story told in a way that's satisfying and 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 authentic and doesn't raise any alarm bells? Uh, the other way you can do it is say, huh, he's trying to write a book where all of the major protagonists are African-Americans in the 50s, and he's a white guy in, in the 20 teens. Uh, that's a that's a high high bar to try mm-hmm. to leap. How well did he do as, as a measure of success? I think those, those points of view are, are both worthwhile, I, and I don't think you necessarily need to privilege one of them about, among the other. In fact, you can, you can evaluate it in both ways and, and come out with a richer understanding of the book. Speaking of privilege, Caleb, man, he's one privileged mother effer. Oh, he is all the privilege. He has all the privilege. Uh, (laughs) Let's talk about some of the uh, discussions happening in the forums. John Taloni um, said that he felt the the book began to drag a little bit in the midway. Um, He said the first part starts with a bang, and then it's more like an anthology work after that. Um, He read that uh, Ruff wanted to have every character to have their own weird tale, um, but he just found that most of the stories weren't as gripping. Uh, The haunted house was almost completely obvious. Extraterrestrial travel, interesting as a concept, but not much in the execution. 
Um, so yeah, he, he more felt like the ending was a little bit rushed. Various characters drifted on and off the stage. And Caleb is shown to be privileged, not just in the traditional sense, but in that he believes everyone exists to serve him. Um, so yeah, some people really agreed that the, that that style was difficult, as we mentioned. Uh, but Joe Informatico had a, had a point that I, I found really interesting. He says, so I think the book had two primary goals. One, give a broad illustration of the kinds of racist oppression African-Americans faced before the civil rights era. And two, broadly touch upon the different kinds of stories H.P. Lovecraft wrote, e.g. otherworldly travel, time travel, black magic cults, body horror, cursed house, etc., the Braithwaite Coven plot is the framing device of the book and is right in the vein of H.P. Lovecraft's cults and men who delve into forbidden knowledge, Herbert West, Richard Upton Pickman, etc., but also a good metaphor for the systematic white supremacy keeping the African-Americans down. The other stories explore the other kinds of tales H.P.L. wrote, evil houses, body transformation, extraterrestrial civilizations, and so on. Um, we talk about the Cthulhu mythos, but that's mostly HPL letting other authors play in his sandbox. While he used certain concepts and ideas to in multiple stories, I don't think he set out to link all of them together except thematically. There are things beyond all human comprehension, whether sleeping gods or tentacled horrors or alien psychics, but they're all terrifying. The characters, then, were created to examine different forms of oppression in the pre-civil rights era. A woman trying to buy property, a man trying to eat at a diner, a woman trying to get and keep a job, a child, etc. Each character is paired with each type of HPL story. Then Ruff has to find a way to tie it all together at the end, but there are difficulties when Lovecraft never cared how or why Herbert West and Shoggoths are in the same universe as Cthulhu and the great race of Yith. Uh, I agree the ending's a little pat and tidy, but much like the Safe Negro Travel Guide, Lovecraft Country is more concerned with your journey than your destination. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I think that's a that's a great uh, write-up by Joe. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I would also add that when you start off with a bang, uh, imitating the best-known best HPL uh, type of story, it's going to be hard to keep that momentum going after that. So I don't think the story drags. It's just, oh, we're shifting into this other kind of story now. Mm-hmm. I think if somehow you had started with those other kinds of stories and built up to Atticus in the middle, then you wouldn't have that feeling. But I'm not sure that you have as good of an arc because the arc is really strong in yeah. here. So. Yeah, I right. like the haunted house one was actually one of my favorites. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, th- I mean, whenever someone says, well, that was too predictable. It's like, well, you're unlucky. You, you guessed right. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I don't know that that does necessarily means it was predictable unless all of us are saying it was a predictable. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may be that you just kind of picked up on something or were, were unlucky and figured it out. Uh, cause I know plenty of people, including my wife, that that every twist movie, they're just able to figure it out. And that doesn't mean that the twists aren't there. It doesn't mean The Sixth Sense is a bad movie. It just mm-hmm. just means, oh, well, you know, able to able to divine that out. So maybe it's it's just that uh, uh, Honestly, Tolone is, is, is just really good. That doesn't ruin it for me either when I figure out a twist before I learn it. Either because yeah. I'm always like, ooh, ooh, but yeah, how, prove me how, right that I yeah. got the twist. <laughs> and how are we going to get there? Is it is it the right, way I right. think? Because sometimes right. I'll catch the twist, but they'll get there in a different way than I expected. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. So mm. yeah, like mm-hmm. Joe said, it's the journey. 
Yep. And then Fresno Bob over on the forums uh, wanted to know if you enjoyed Tangential Lovecraft, try these next. It's not really a wanted to know. He's telling you. If mm. you enjoyed Tangential Lovecraft, <laughs> try these next. He says The Laundry Series by Charles Strauss, Case Nightmare Green, The Milkweed Triptych mm. by Ian Tregellis, and Anything by Thomas Ligotti. And most especially, any of the short story collections of Laird Barron. I recommend Swift to Chase, Not Be First not be first as it ties to several of his previous short stories. Oh, I recommend Swift to Chase not be first as it ties to several of his previous short stories. I enjoyed all of these more than anything Lovecraft actually wrote. And uh, Melanie uh, added Winter Tide is another one that people for love look Lovecraft inspired works should definitely read. Uh, there's a lot of other recommendations from folks in the same vein. So, so mine this vein of rich Lovecraft like uh, recommendations. I hadn't actually thought about Ian Tregillis being, you know, Lovecraft. Why? But it it does totally. have the flavor for sure. Totally. When they're like the what the war- warlocks are communicating mm-hmm, with. Mm-hmm. Totally Lovecraftian. Yeah. Um, may I also suggest Cthulhu Rotica? <laughs> of course you would. In the, and should in the Lovecraftian vein. There so you speak. go. So to speak. Indeed. Uh, and then Steve, should we get to Steve, uh, mm-hmm. who said the Green Book historically was a real and published between 1933 and 1966. And in fact, I went on eBay and ordered one. Uh, it is a facsimile, not a real one, but it is, uh, I think, the 1954 version of the Negro Traveler's Green Book, The Guide to Travel and Vacation. Travel-wise people travel by the Green Book. It says, carry your green book with you. You may need it. Um, anyway, uh, Steve said, I love the reference to it. And as a device for moving people around, the real green book was developed by Victor Hugo Green. Uh, there's a decent Wikipedia article about it. Although I first learned about it from a Metafilter article in 2010. Sadly, one of those links has gone stale. But Yep. And then Rebecca and Caitlin both mentioned that there is a movie coming out soon called Green Book starring Mahershala Ali and Viggo Mortensen. Um, which goes into, yeah, Viggo Mortensen, I believe, is like the bodyguard or like he kind of helps out uh, Marshala Ali um, as he travels from place to place getting quotes for the book or figuring out which places are safe. Uh, I'm trying to, uh, there's a big article about San Francisco in this copy. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it, it's just a, It's just an article. It talks about the mission and the cable cars and all of that. Um, there's some restaurants in Oakland, the Villa on Adeline Street, uh, as Ma mentioned. I wonder if anything is still open. The Hilo on O'Farrell in San Francisco is a is a restaurant that's listed. Mm-hmm. Just the one. Hmm. Just the one. It's just, just the one. Wow. Mm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, lots I, of I really, restaurants in Los Angeles listed. But. Yeah, I really okay. I really. Uh, I'm I'm a little like anti LA right now because of the World Series, but we're fine. We're fine with that. Maybe I'm that's why I'm so tense you've tonight. To talk to me, I know it's troubling times. You've live. switched sides. I haven't switched sides. I mean, yeah. I never was against anybody except those who play the Cardinals. <laughs> so. okay. Fair enough. <laughs> All right. Well, this. Uh, yeah, we're going to be uh, moving around our recording times a little bit next month to oh, kind right. of fit in with the holiday schedules. Schedules. Um, so we will have the next episode is going to come out in three weeks now on November fifteenth. And if and you're like, we'll what holiday schedule in in the United American States? We have we have yeah. a Thanksgiving at the end of November. Right. So 
So we're just making it fit around that because we're, we're going to be out of town. Um, so yeah, so look for episodes on the 15th and 29th, and then we'll go back to our regular schedule on December 5th. Uh, so just that's what's happening. So keep an eye out for new episodes that just way. Just a heads up. Just a heads up. All right, that wraps up this episode. Thank you so much to everyone who backs us over on Patreon. If you want to help us out, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser. And Tom and I next weekend are going to be in LA for Patreon. Um, so we'll post in the forums or on Twitter if we're going to have a little meetup or something down there. I bought a brand new roof for my sunroom just so it would be ready for Veronica to visit. Yay! <laughs> you can also support the show by buying books through our links. You can find links to the books we talk about and some of our favorites at swordandlaser.com slash picks. Send us an email at feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com slash swordandlaser. And you can call and leave us a voicemail at 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Audio program so good, it's like you're there!